I'm Denzel Mohammed. Welcome to Jobmakers. One of the primary reasons immigrants flee to the United States, historically and today, is war, instability, the inability to see a future in your own land. Be they migrants today from Central America fleeing gangs, or migrants from Southern Europe a century ago fleeing fascism, the story is the same. The journey just as hard, the ambitions and willingness to survive indistinguishable, but perhaps for skin color. For Giovanni Rashiti, son of immigrants from Italy, founding partner of the law firm of Berg Hill Greenleaf Rashiti in Boulder, Colorado, and author of the just-released Cobblestones, Conversations, and Corks, a son's discovery of his Italian heritage, he saw that hard work and ambition firsthand with his grandparents who worked the coal mines and his father, who did whatever work was available until he was able to start not one, but two businesses in the U.S. Giovanni tells us his family's story of being forced to leave the land they loved, coming here with virtually nothing, bringing with them a diligent work ethic, and how they were able eventually to thrive and pave the way for his own entrepreneurial success and job making. Crucially though, Giovanni explains that immigrants from all time periods, including today, bring value, innovation, culture, and strength, and working alongside them builds up our communities for everyone's benefit, as you learn in this week's Job Makers. Giovanni Rashiti, descendant of Italian immigrants, founding partner of Berghill Greenleaf Rashiti, LLP law firm in Boulder, Colorado, and author of Cobblestones, Conversations, and Quarks, a son's discovery of his Italian heritage. Welcome to the Jobmakers Podcast. Denzel, thank you for having me. It's, it's my pleasure to be here. I'm really honored. It's a beautiful book with beautiful pictures. Uh, why did you want to write this book? What was important for you to tell and why? Uh, great question. You know, my, my my father passed away in 2019, and, and my dad lived this uh, pretty remarkable life of of uh, the immigrant American dream story. He was the guy who came here with uh, the, literally the shirt on his back at 21 with no education, and retired at 62. Very successful, however you define the word success. And uh, he, he he taught me a lot of things about hard work and entrepreneurism. But you know, one of the things that he 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 said right before he passed was he was a deeply, like a lot of immigrants, deeply proud person of his family, his heritage, how he got here, how he became who he was. And he said, two weeks before he passed, uh, you know, somebody should tell my story, our story. You should write a book. And you know, Denzel, I'm a very busy attorney and arbitrator and mediator and managing partner in my law firm. I I, I didn't really think I was going to be able to do it, but I said, yeah, dad, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And um, so I made that promise to him. And 2020 then came around and, you know, with obviously COVID, but then more importantly, you know, BLM and, and the social unrest and the political unrest. Uh, and then really a lot of the targeting towards immigrants um, that had started a few years before. I just felt compelled to to sit down and just fulfill that promise. I, I had no intent to write a book, and I certainly had no intent to write a, a memoir. I just was going to honor my promise to my father. And and his story came to life for me um, in 2013 when I did my first trip back to Italy to my parents' hometown. And the stories that he had shared with me so many times as a little boy, had which had no context and meaning in the past, 
suddenly came to life. And, you know, just, it was this confluence of things that just came together. And here we are. Yesterday, the book came out and uh, received a lot of great reviews and doing really well on Amazon, hitting number one new releases already. So very honored and pleased by that. But really what I wanted to do is tell the, tell the story. It's a, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a love story about a father-son relationship that evolves over time. You know, father-son relationships, uh, you know, have their peaks in their, in their, their, their valleys. Uh, and, and ours was like that and got really strong, but it's also a, a love story about my parents and their relationship. My, my falling in love with, with their town and my ancestral hometown. And then of course we're Italian, right? So love of food and wine that really emerged. Yeah, exactly. Over my entire lifetime. That's terrific. And it's written in such a personal and easy to understand way. Uh, I could feel like I'm walking with you through the town, you know, um, yours and those of the other people you grew up with are the immigrant stories that span generations. Uh, guide us through some of those stories. What was fascinating or noteworthy about those stories and these immigrants? They worked hard. You know, they, they, my father and my grandfathers, my mom, my grandmothers, they, they had very little back in Italy. You know, they, they were poor by any definition before World War II. And then they lived through extreme poverty and misery. And, you know, th these were people who lived very simple, basic lives. And, um, you know, they, they took that kind of work ethic with them to the United States after they left. But, you know, for my family, it all started in 1943. Um, when the Nazis invaded their central part of Italy, because what they were doing is they were trying to get themselves positioned for the Americans and, and Polish who were coming up through Sicily. And um, you know, my dad was seven, mom was four, and they had to make a choice. The choice was fight and be killed or sent to prisoner of war camp, um, give in and, and be servants to, to the Nazi soldiers or leave. And abandon their homes and all their possessions. They chose the latter. They left, and they 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 struggled for a long time. And uh, family members, one at a time, started coming over. And you know, it's a traditional kind of story that you've heard many times. Somebody would come over, typically, you know, one of the men, and get a job. And for my family, they worked in the coal mines in Colorado, and they would send money back. And one family member at a time would come over. And you know, my 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 mom came in '54. She went back and married my dad in 57, and then he came over in 58. And like I told you before, he was truly the, the shirt on his back story. So, uh, but when they got here, you know, they moved to a town where most of the people from Consano had moved to. So my first language growing up was not English, it was Italian. And so I spent a lot of time with all these old men doing things that none of my friends were doing. We were butchering goats and lamb. We were making wine and prosciutto. We were you know, drying out sausage and making cheese. And, you know, I, I didn't really get to have the same kind of upbringing that a, a lot of my friends had, which I kind of resented at the time, to be honest with you, because, you know, you want to be out playing. Um, but I, I spent all this amazing time with these these great men and great strong women. And um, it, 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 it really framed who I became. And But I didn't know it, right? It, you know, you don't really appreciate those things until you're, you're older. But my dad always said, hey, you can do it. You know, if I was able to succeed, you can do it. And I was the first person in my family to go to college and I got my MBA. Then I went to law school. 
Uh, my dad and I got very close um, in 2013 through this trip and got to spend a lot of quality time together uh, in another trip. And then just, you know, talking about his upbringing. There's so many, I mean, there's so many stories. And my dad was, my dad was a storyteller. You know, he, he, he would talk about, you know, like, like the first part of the book talks about uh, the road it's called and uh, the winding road up to the town, which I'd heard about a million times. My dad told a story about how he was 10 or 11 and they would be cutting down wood. You know, they didn't have any other resources. Their, their assets were the timber in the mountains. So they would cut down wood, take it down to a town named Somona, sell it for either food or, or uh, they trade it for, you know, provisions that they needed or money. My dad would have a sandwich somewhere in town there, a little glass of wine because that's part of the culture. And then he would walk back. So it was six or seven miles one way with all the wood and then he'd walk back. And I heard that story so many times, right? But it came to life that day in June when I was doing that drive and, and he was telling the story again. He's like, that's where we used to cut down the wood. And there's so many stories like that, that uh, really defined him. And, you know, I, I have a million more of, of who he was and my memories uh, as, as a boy and, and his hard work and just the things that he used to do that were funny. You know, he was a charming, charismatic guy, but he was also a tough Italian machismo kind of guy. And so he had all those things coming together. And he knew how to negotiate. He knew how to do that. Um, and so much of, some of, of what you're saying resonates with me because we hear these stories generation after generation. And it's it's not so dissimilar to families who are forced to flee, you know, Guatemala or El Salvador because they face death or having to surrender to to gangs and things like that. It's it's a similar story. It's very fascinating for me. The children of immigrants. I think the children of immigrants are just the most awesome people. They can straddle two cultures. They're multilingual, multicultural. Um, and they do so much exponentially better than their parents did. What was it like for your parents when they first moved here? They came with very little. They came with no English skills. I imagine their priority was just to work and to try to find some stability, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, they, you know, when, when my, my dad got here at 58, um, he, he had no education. So it was any job that he could get. And, and literally, he took any job that he could get. And uh, a lot of it was in, you know, very difficult kind of construction work. He, he did not want to be in, in the mining like uh, like my grandfather's were. He just did not want to work in a coal mine. Uh, but he was a custodian. He did lots of things like that. He would take any job. My mom also was working, and then my sisters were born, and I was born in 66. Uh, but one of, one of the jobs that my dad had was um, he worked for a company where one of the things he got to do or, or had the opportunity to do, and I guess it got to do because that's the way he viewed it, was he got to work with the, the executives and clean out their suites. He was, one of his tasks was being a custodian. So Denzel, what do you think he did? He took home the Wall Street Journal from their offices and um, he learned how to read and write from reading the Wall Street Journal. So he was very entrepreneurial. And what he did was he went to my grandfather and my great uncles and said, hey, Instead of us working for the, these other guys, helping them make all this money, why don't we form our own construction company? They're like, oh, Emilio, you don't know what you're talking about. We, we just got here. <laughs> we barely speak the language. And my dad's like, no, we can do it. And um, so they, they started doing some of that. And later, he and his brother formed a construction company. But he also learned how to buy and sell stock. He learned about real estate. And so he, he started working two or three jobs and amassing you know, a lot of assets. And, and you mentioned 
learning how to negotiate. There's some great stories in the book that I tell um, that really framed me when I was a kid. So in the 70s, there was a there was a uh, a department store in the town where I was from that was going out of business, and um, so it was like a Kmart. It wasn't Kmart. It was called Gibson's. And um, my dad and my uncle had this construction company. They they walk in, and I think things were like 70% off at this point. So they walk into the the paint department, and my dad says, um, "Okay, I'll give you you know $200 for all this." And the, the, the kid is like an 18 year old pimple faced kid, and I was you know, I was a kid myself. I was like seven or eight. Um, the kid's like, sir, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, it's 70%. <laughs> and then and then my uncle kind of swoops in. They, I think they had this pre-planned. I didn't realize this until later. My uncle comes in and then offers another number. And then the, the kid goes back to his supervisor. Next thing you know, my dad and uncle bought thousands of cans of paint that they were going to use for their painting business, right? But if I go to my, my, my mom's house, hundreds of those bottles of paint 40 plus years later are still there. And I would tell my dad, dad, you're not going to use all this paint. You know, he wasn't a hoarder or anything, but he was just this great negotiator. So he loved going to the markets, right? He loved negotiating. And for him, it was like, we, we walked into Kmart and we wanted to buy a table saw and it was like 200 bucks. And so he tells the kid, I'll, I'll give you 150. And the kid's like, it's $200. And so, um, but he was a negotiator and, and that taught me. And actually it's a tool that I use now as an attorney. Don't be afraid to ask, right? Worst anyone can do is say no. So, yeah, he had no boundaries when it came to this kind of thing. <laughs> he didn't exactly know the American way all the time. Um, one thing that I, that is that is uh, fascinating in your book is you mentioned that many of the immigrants to that town were from the same city in Italy. Yes. What is the value? of having an enclave of people from your home country? Because the narrative in the U.S. is you they're isolating, they don't want to learn the language, they're not integrating, but there is a tremendous value of having people from your home country to, to support you. That's social capital, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was this community that was right there. These people all really supported each other. And I remember as a young kid, my dad, when he wasn't working a job, was at one of these other, they were called Kanzanese. So the people of Kansano called themselves Kanzanese. He was at another Kanzanese person's house helping them fix something in their kitchen or their bathroom or building something. And they, they didn't pay each other. They were helping each other. My dad always helped others. And, you know, he, his greatest gift was he knew how to help people. He was good with his hands. And he realized that was his gift. And he gave it to other people. He would help whenever he could. And, and so much of that being a servant is lost. Um, but, you know, when you have that tight culture, yeah, there are, there are some negative things that happen. I, I didn't speak English until I was five or six, even though I was born here in 1966. Um, but, man, you felt very safe. You had, you had people there who were from the exact same experience as you, who knew what you went through. And we're going through the exact same things here at the same time. And uh, it, it was that, uh, that sense of community that I think is missing in this country, um, unfortunately. Um, in, in you, if you look at what things what, what things bring people true joy, one of them is community. It's it's being with family or a close knit group of friends. And to be clear, community does not mean that you're all the same, but you probably share similar experience or have a similar ambition. Let's get into the entrepreneurship. Uh, as you know, many immigrants start businesses in the U.S. Often, it's their only option. Um, 
What were some of the businesses started by the immigrants and their descendants around you? And do you see parallels with uh, today's immigrants? Is today's story sort of similar to when you you guys first came here? Yeah, you know, I, when I was a kid, um, I talk about this in the book. You know, we, we didn't have a lot in the early 70s, but I didn't know it, right? My, we always had enough. We had food and we had a house, the house that my dad built. Um, but my dad started off, his first business was construction company. And he and his brother Luciano would go around and they, they would build homes and they built a lot of homes in the town I was in. So my cousin and I would, would go around and help. We thought we were helping, right? We were probably more of a nuisance, but they wanted us there to, to help them. And, uh, and they, they were very successful. And then, you know, as I mentioned, he, he used his experience in the Wall Street to start buying real estate. So he started buying some rental properties and he would take his experience as a construction worker to remodel these homes. So he was building new homes. He was not flipping the property. He was using them as rental property. He just viewed, and, and by the way, a lot of the people that he was renting to were immigrants and he was helping them. The, the rent was very cheap, but he was building capital. You know, um, you know one, one of the people who reviewed my book is Hernando de Soto, who's a famous economist who wrote The Mystery of Capital. And his whole view about giving people rights is through property, right? And, and my dad lived that was he became empowered through property. Um, now, by the way, all this time, he had a full-time job or two. And he worked for a company that was about to go through an acquisition and they wanted to move him through to uh, West Virginia or Texas. And he said, no, my, you know, his, his mom was still alive. His siblings were all around. And he said, no, I'm going to stay. And so um, he started over again. This was in the early 80s and he started a grocery store. And no experience as a grocer, but you know, my dad had the, the, the viewpoint that you can do it, which is what he told us all the time. And so then he became a grocer and, um, you know, he just, he, he never stopped building and being an entrepreneur and, and talking about negotiations. You know, he would, he would go to the local farm. I mean, this is truly local organic farms, not like what you see nowadays. He would go to the local farmers, you know, say during corn season and, uh, the guy would say, okay, well, we're selling a whatever, a dozen head, or a, a dozen corn for a dollar. And my dad said, okay, I'll buy the entire truckload. So he had this old beat up white Ford pickup for a hundred dollars. And the guy would look at him and he would do it. And then we'd take the truck back, go in front of the store, park it there. And then he would sell so much corn. He does with he does with everything, right? But he was always an entrepreneur. He had that spirit and nothing phased him at all. Nothing. I mean, he, he could do anything. And so, you know, he was immensely successful doing that. And it taught me a lot about taking risk, not risk in the sense of what a lot of people do nowadays, but betting on yourself and hard work. And that's the way I built my legal career. So let's get to your business now. You went on to found your own business, a law firm. From my experience, immigrant business owners don't usually want their children to go into business because they know how hard it is. Uh, but what has the experience been like for you? And did your experience with your father help you in any way? Uh, completely. Um, well, I, so I, I've been practicing law in almost 30 years. Um, and in uh, November 2001, uh, me and the other founding partners of our firm, Bird Hilton, the Fushiki Foreman's firm. I was young, I was 35. I was leaving, you know, a, a solid kind of job. And, you know, I had three kids and told my wife, I said, hey, I, I, I think I'm going to go out and start a new law firm. And that was risky. And, and you know, my, my dad had taught me that I could do it. I mean, that was his phrase, you can do it. And 
you know, he always preached about controlling your own destiny, um, making your own decisions, you being your own boss. And so we set out, you know, there were five attorneys at the time. Uh, we were going to be a boutique construction real estate firm. Now we have almost 60 attorneys, offices in uh, Boulder, Denver, Cheyenne, Irvine, San Diego, truly a national, international practice. And um, uh, definitely the teachings of my father I use every day. And when I'm mentoring young lawyers, some of the phrases that he used with me, I use with them. And uh, no, I, I would not have the, the work ethic to do what I do without some of his early teachings. Obviously, very different work you know, what I do, but, but Denzel, the, the common theme is, um, the ability, the, the, the being willing to work, the willingness to, to do what it takes, um, to make something successful. And I got that from him. And the willingness to accept risk, risk is, risk is part of the deal. I often say the act of migrating is itself an entrepreneurial act. And that's part of the reason why immigrants are twice as likely to start businesses here in the U S they are job makers, not job takers. Exactly. You can do it, and you did. Finally, uh, your family's experience is both unique and storied, and yet also very much the immigrant story. Right. What would you say to Americans today about welcoming new, ambitious, entrepreneurial immigrants to their communities? Please, please, please be open and non-judgmental. You know, our country was built on, no matter how you define it, the immigrant story. For some, for some, it was just a year or two ago. For others, it was three or 400 years ago. But we're all, at, at some point in time, we come from that same kind of story and background. And, you know, we don't know what these other people are going through. We don't know what they're escaping. But I do know this. We are blessed in this country. We have so many resources available to us, whether it be our educational system, our healthcare system, our jobs, just the stuff that we have around us, right? that 80, 90% of the population of our planet don't have, and they're looking for something better. And that's all they're trying to do. And you know, you know what, Denzel, there's enough abundance to go around for everyone, certainly everywhere, I believe, but in this country, it's not like they're taking something from you. They're looking to better their lives. And as you said before, and it's so true, they're usually building something. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It's an incredible book, uh, Cobblestones, Conversations, and Corks, A Son's Discovery of His Italian Heritage. Giovanni Ruscitti, uh, descendant of immigrants from Italy. Thank you for joining us on the Job Makers Podcast. Denzel, thank you very much for, for having me. I've been uh, really humbled by the reception to the book and, and honored to be on your show today. Jobmakers is a weekly podcast about immigrant entrepreneurship and contribution produced by Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston, and the Immigrant Learning Center in Malden, Massachusetts, a not-for-profit that gives immigrants a voice. Thank you for joining us for this week's special episode on one family's ambitious journey to success in the U.S., the story of all immigrants, really. We'll be taking a break next week, and we'll be back with you again on September 8th for another Jobmakers podcast. I'm Denzel Mohammed. See you then. Thank you.